Classics Fulfilling failed franchises Reinvigorating reviled rehashes It's the follow-up showdown With Paul Getz, Travis McMaster Hello and welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we still give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, whose name here in the Matrix is Paul Getz, but my hacker name is Honka. I worked very hard on that and I'm not looking for notes. <laughs> With me, thankfully, are my co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni, whose hacker names are... Lolris. Also Trinity. <laughs> Okay, now, uh, just to clarify, does that mean your hacker name is Trinity, or the full no, name is... No question, Paul. No, there is Trinity, and then I am also Trinity. We don't both go by Trinity. Okay, That's great. If this is the first time you're joining us, the way it goes is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that doesn't exactly stick the landing, and each make a pass at coming up with a more appropriately epic epilogue. This time, our subject is... The Matrix series. Now, when we're lucky, we get to do this with the aid of a guest, and today we've got a doozy. Next-level Matrix fan, staunch defender of the sequels, and lifelong BFF of our own Travis McMaster, Mario Cully. Greetings, Mario. Now hit me with that hacker name. Hi, guys. Uh, First-time caller, no-time listener. I mm -hmm. go by the name Aquacong. I really... <laughs> Thought you were going to go with Sir Droids. Oh, yeah. I, my <laughs> guess was Aqua Kong just because I know that's your uh, email. And uh, I figured that had maybe some long standing meaning to you. It does oh, indeed. Mario. It's very important. My father used to tow me behind a boat in the Florida ocean, and they called me Aqua Boy. And then I used to work at King Kong, which was a theme park ride. So naturally, you called yourself King Aqua. Yes. Okay, I am going to try to keep us moving today as best I can. Uh, uh, when it comes to you two, uh, I'm not so sure how that's going to go. So I want to start with possibly the most important question there is on this subject. Who has the coolest sunglasses in the Matrix? Niobe. Uh, Whoa, yeah, it's Morpheus. Niobe's are uncomfortable looking. They're cool, um, though. She, she looks like a bug. So wow. we have two for Morpheus, correct? That's Travis and Mario for Morpheus? Yes. Uh, yes. Now, for me, uh, in the first one, I thought it might be Agent Smith. Then in the second one, that shifted uh, very quickly to the Dreadlock Twins, because they ah. have some cool shades. But the one that I ended up choosing as my absolute favorite pair was a sort of side character who is in the crew of the Logo ship uh, under Niobe. His name is Vector. You'll have to look it up, but he's he's got the coolest shades, I think. Oh, don't okay. Google Vector Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair um, point. Okay, so before we start rolling into the subject at hand, uh, let's do a two Travis McMaster minutes. To Travis McMaster Minutes! Travis, are you up for it? God, no, of course not. Let's try. Let's try. Okay, so you're just going to be doing the Matrix trilogy yeah. uh, in two minutes. It's it's hard. I would like to extend to our, our guest and Uber Matrix fan the challenge of 
describing the plot of the Matrix trilogy in two minutes. I'm willing to. I'm willing to give this my 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 all. Okay, you're ready. Let me know when you're ready. Okay, go. We meet our main character, who is Neo, but we don't know that yet, and he has a boring job, but he stays up nights looking for people on the internet because he's heard some weird shit. He finds enough information to get his way to the attention of Morpheus and Trinity, and then Trinity finds him and is like, hey, you're not crazy, you should keep looking, and we're going to come find you. Then he gets a cool phone that everybody wanted to own for like a hot minute, and he runs out of his office, but then chickens out. Um, and they catch him. And then he's interrogated by the man, which is literally like the most monolithic version of the man ever. It's just like guys in suits who have unending authority and don't have to answer to anyone. Um, and he's like, fuck you. And he does the best middle finger in the history of movies. Uh, they release him. The good guys show up. She calls him a copper top, which confused the living shit out of me forever because his hair is black. But it's because he's being used as a battery still. They explain the Matrix to him. They wake him up. Uh, Lauren has an incredible fan theory that the reason he's able to repair that mirror is because he doesn't realize it yet, but he is the one and he uses his, uh, Neo powers like fledglingly to fix that mirror. Anyway, they kick him out of the matrix. He wakes up, they grab him with a big hook thing. They teach him how to be the one. It's a very Jesus analogy. He gets shot to death and then he comes back to life and then he kills the bad guy. Then he flies into the sky and rage against the machine plays. Excellent choice. Start our second movie. The toys are out of the box. We, Find out that Zion is the place where all the people are, and the machines do not like them and are going to kill them. So they go into the Matrix, and it turns out that Agent Smith is also back from when Neo killed him in the first movie. He got to the source and was like, I don't like this. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And now he doesn't have an earpiece. There is a fight. He goes back to talk to the Oracle, who is a lady I should have brought up by now, but didn't. Uh, (laughs) It's a big kung fu battle with lots of Smiths, because it turns out that once Smith doesn't have to do anything, he can just do whatever he wants. And what he wants is to turn the Matrix into himself. Meanwhile, they're looking for the key maker because they're trying to get back to the source, which is something that they have been told they need to do by, uh, I want to say the machines indirectly, or the prophecy of the one which comes from the Oracle, who again, should have mentioned her in the first movie. They fight their way to this door by getting the key maker from a side guy named the Morvingian, who has a bunch of stuff and a bunch of powers in the Matrix. Uh, the door is open, Neo goes in there, he meets the architect, who in my mind is just Will Ferrell anymore from the MTV Music Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the architect explains to Neo that the reason Neo exists is because he's a, like a weird part of the Matrix that keeps happening no matter what they do. And in order to fix the Matrix periodically, he has to come back to the source and re-inseminate his code. I, there's probably a better way to say that, disseminate, uh, into the Matrix so that it reboots. And then he gets to choose, I want to say, seven women and 14 men or the other way around, maybe. And they start the whole fucking thing over. And they've done this six times, so he's the seventh one. Normally, they only just have a guy who loves everybody. And this time, they were like, you're going to love one body particularly. So he's supposed to make the altruistic choice and say, like, well, I got to save as many people as possible. So I got to reset the matrix and everyone else has to die and I'll save some folks. And he goes, no, fuck that. I'm going to go get Trinity. And then he pulls a Jesus thing and saves her life instead. And everyone's like, I don't know what's going to happen now. And then Smith is in charge. I'm going to have to cut you off, Mario. I got Uh, through two of three. In three minutes. Uh, So I I was I. I was going to let you just No, finish, no, this but, was a terrible failure. It, I, uh, it was supposed to be three movies in two minutes, and it was it, it had become two, two and three. Two and three, yeah. Um, so anyway, the good guys win, and it's a great time. Uh, that's kind of what happens. Uh, I mean, that, that ending. Um, <laughs> Everything that happened, at least. No, See, that's a great true. tragedy. Is My favorite part about these movies is the ending, and I didn't get to explain it. Well, what I would say um, was maybe the biggest oversight of where you had described to was that you never explained what the Matrix is. I have to show you, Paul. 
Okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> well said. I guess we're just gonna hope that all I'm sorry, the listeners in these movies, and uh, you know, maybe maybe we'll flesh out some of their unanswered questions uh, in our discussions of them. But let's start with the first one. Some background on, on sort of how the Matrix came to be. Producer Joel Silver uh, had worked with the Wachowskis, who wrote uh, Sylvester Stallone, Antonio Banderas action movie Assassins. They they approached him with their script for The Matrix. He said that he would let them do it after they sort of cut their teeth on their first directorial debut, the movie Bound. When that was a commercial success, uh, he gave them the green light. Some other uh, cool production stuff I I found was that, uh, you know, the Wachowskis were really uh, about making this sort of a, a... a kung fu movie. Uh, so they hired legendary Hong Kong stunt coordinator Wu Ping Yuan, uh, who initially refused to work on it, even though he liked the script, because he just didn't believe that they would do it right. And so he made what he thought would be the impossible demand that in order to agree to do it, the actors would have to train with him for four months before shooting anything. Okay, so the practicality uh, there, that's impossible just for, for production scheduling, right? Like getting Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne to sit still for four months. Yes, Hugo Weaving as well. Yeah, yes. okay, sure. Uh, but the Wachowskis agreed. And so, for signing on to The Matrix, not only were the, uh, the cast required to do what ended up being six months of training before filming anything, it was also required reading of each of them to read the books Simulacra and, and Simulation. Uh, they had to read both of those before they could even read the script, and they had to be able to explain the concepts within them. You know, based on only supposition, I'm pretty sure that, like, that's another way that the Matrix warped cinema for the last 20 years is the commitment to having the talent on screen doing all of that stuff. That after we watched it this time through, I was admiring, you know what they were what they could get in around the budget like obviously that movie had a huge budget but when you look at the next two movies and you can see what they would wanted to have shot um and the first movie they had to have like a lot more thought with a lot of more things so it was um Mm -hmm. a little tighter um but what i like about it is that even though it was borrowing because like i didn't know any of the things it was borrowing from when i saw it because i was 15 and living um florida i had moved from kansas so i didn't know anything about anything at all so the Matrix completely cracked my mind open because I had never seen these old kung fu movies or the anime stuff they're referencing and drawing from. It was all brand new to me. But what's great about it is even the people who had seen that stuff before, the this movie put it together for the first time ever. Everyone who saw it saw something they'd never seen before. Very true. And for as mind-blowing as this was for everybody who saw it, um, especially at that time, it's amazing to think, because the Wachowskis apparently worked on it for something like six years before bringing it to anybody. So wow. how long they had sort of had that seed planted and, and uh, you know, uh, come up with those ideas and how they wanted it to play out. Uh, they, uh, boy, they've got some brains on them. Yeah, yeah. their work is incredible. Yeah. The mind-blowing uh, thing about The Matrix 2, by the way, is it snuck into theaters before Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so a lot of Western audiences, I imagine, you know, I mean, obviously, like, film buffs have been watching, like, Eastern, like, wire work, Kung Fu and stuff like that, and Jackie Chan's something like that, for a long time, but like Travis said, this movie and, like, Crouching Tiger both hit at the same time, and it's like, look what you can do practically with people's bodies to sell this, like, hyper-real physical stuff. Some of the, uh, 
other actors considered to play some of these main roles. Neo was originally intended for Brandon Lee, but of course he died tragically making The Crow. So now, well, sorry to interrupt. Do you have that's the movie I've seen Brandon Lee in. Does anyone have a deeper experience with him as to whether this would have been good, bad, or a lateral casting decision? No idea. You know, it's interesting, like, because when you think, because I, I, I certainly, especially now, and in this rewatch of The Matrix, I really had a great appreciation for what Keanu did to the, with the part. Yeah. However, for the simplicity of the part and what it required, at least from his version of it, I, I could see a number of iterations of that character working. Yeah, or, like Keanu's, like, Neo doesn't work just because Keanu is there, but like... Yeah, yeah the specific thing he brings to it is... Uh, super <laughs> interesting and cool. Neo is just a dude, you know, and that's all he needs to be. And I really kind of like that jumping from, even though six months goes by and like certain things evolve between the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded, I like that when you get back to Neo, he's still the same one word question asking. Yeah, like the, the, the town elder guy. catches him with sleep, uh, you know, neither of them can sleep, and he's like, hey, did you ever think about, you know, Anything? Did I rescue the dog or did the dog rescue me? Like, do we need these machines or do the machines need us? And he was like, oh, what a new perspective. It's like, what are you doing free time? Do you consider things? Or no? Yeah. Like a dog talk? <laughs> yeah. Neo, you know, that makes him the perfect audience cipher. And again, like, you know, this sort of screenplay where you're downloading a ton of new information to the audience needs. We have Marty to explain the science too, or like the last Starfighter where it's like all new, but you have a guy who you care about and you have to be like, look, this is why it all works. And Neo gets to be that for philosophy, basically for these movies. And people have to be like, look, dum dum. Here's how come, you know, you might have decision making or you might not. Whereas before I always sort of had attitude to make fun of the fact that all Neo does is like, go, why? What? Right. You know, like he just asks questions. This time around, I thought, wow, what a patient man. You know what I mean? Like that, that was what I came away with because he's just, he is willing to listen to the explanations and ask as many questions as he needs to get them. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in real quick with a thought that's just occurring to me? Maybe Neo is a, the machine's idea of like man. If you just take man without any personality, basic uh, man, interesting. that barely understands what's in front of it and needs right. to have other beings who with like magic names like Ghost and Morpheus to explain things to it. And then it can kind of like go punch its way through philosophy. Yeah, like if you said Agent Smith, what are people like? He would describe someone not unlike Neo in a bad light. Yeah. But that would be like not an assessment. Okay, so then uh, very famously, Will Smith also passed. uh, Which, now that's the universe we want to live in, right? Like that would be a crazy universe. I mean, it would be a different movie, I feel like. There's just no way he could keep it so, I don't know, streamlined. He would end up warping it around him. Yeah, he's got too much personality. It, it yeah, would be yeah. a Will Smith movie more than it was, you know, The Matrix is kind of the star of The Matrix. But if you put Will Smith uh, in It'd be interesting to Smith's see, though. I mean, I love Will Smith. Yeah. So the next people oh, that were wanted was Johnny Depp. The Ugh. studio didn't want that. They sent them next to Brad Pitt, who, upon reading the script, said it was not his part to play, which I pretty I like. Very serene Brad Pitt. Yes. Cut. Um, Ewan McGregor, who was filming episode one at the time, huh. hmm. David Duchovny, uh, huh. who passed, uh, you know, he was doing the X-Files, Leo DiCaprio, who said he was concerned about, uh, there being too many special effects. Um, okay. 
in any case, all of those actors were considered for Keanu Reeves, but one actor who was never considered, who apparently lobbied extremely hard to be considered and was just told no, was John Cusack. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um, which I thought could have worked. I mean, maybe yeah. Neo would have just seemed a little more tired, but but the <laughs> martial arts part, I guess not. He can kick ass for sure, or he could then for sure. That'll, that'll teach me to ever question John Cusack. I'm sorry. Or me. Uh, my new favorite game um, is going to be trying to say, trying to quote famous Matrix lines with John Cusack's famous throw it away tone. I've been trying to think of that. I know, I know Kung Fu. I'm just going to really fast forward through the rest of these. For Morpheus, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, Russell Crowe, and Chow Yun-Fat, all considered. uh, For Trinity, Sandra Bullock was offered the role, but turned it down because of who who was cast as Neo at the time. She didn't see them working well together. Hilarious that it ended up being Keanu Reeves. Apparently, Trinity was originally written for Janet Jackson. Um, but she turned it down. Um, Michelle Yao was considered, but uh, had a scheduling conflict. And then, kind of fun fact there, Jada Pinkett Smith auditioned for Trinity, but didn't meet. So, you know, we can open up the floor a little bit to Matrix uh, discussion, anybody, you know, whatever anybody wants to talk about. But I do have fun facts, and then I have weird observations about each one. And so when we start getting to the pitches... Uh, I'm going to break them up with one of those, but you guys get to pick if you want a fun fact or a weird observation. Okay. I hadn't, I hadn't <laughs> seen it for a while, and I realized um, this is the first time I watched it realizing that he only learned the word Matrix whenever Trinity, or I guess uh, Morpheus, said it to him on his computer. The, oh. Matrix, the Matrix has you. I never thought about that, because I was like, how did... How did Neo oh, yeah. Matrix? And Travis is like, oh, he learned about it that exact second when he heard what he couldn't put into words was called. You mean the uh, when he said, what is the Matrix? When he's yeah. prompted to the question. Yeah, okay, I, that is... That is yeah, the, I don't yeah. know that I put that together before. It never occurred to me. I, know yeah, that's I just assumed he had been deep Googling, but yeah, I guess you're right. All he has really is like... Googling! Yeah, duck, duck, like, going. No. I was like, how would he know the Matrix is called that? But it's because... He was just told what it was called like an hour before. All, all I did, I want to say that I love this movie more every time I watch it. I feel like I get something new out of it every time I watch it. I'm like blown away at the just staggering amount of thought and filmmaking. Every department's on their shit. The fucking the the set decoration is like next level good in almost all of it, especially considering how many different like worlds they're showcasing. You have the real world, which sucks, and then the Matrix, which has to look normal but also different in a distinct way, which they pull off. I watch the special features to the Matrix about as regularly as I watch the Matrix itself. If you're at all interested in filmmaking, like as how to or as like history of the Matrix, special features are insane. I, yeah, I was really blown away in general how many more details I caught that showed just this insane commitment that they had to making this as whole and complete and rich as they could. Uh, one thing that I that I didn't know is that the sequence in which Neo is going through the sort of like training simulation being introduced to the Matrix and he sees the woman in red in the crowd. Apparently, numerous sets of identical twins 
were cast as extras in that sequence uh, to create the uh, illusion of a repeating program. So if you look at that crowd shot where the lady in red stands out, uh, there's like a tall man with slick back hair and sunglasses uh, in the opening shot. And then a few seconds later, his identical twin is a police officer writing a parking ticket. Yeah. So brilliant. Yeah. Okay, just the notion that like, I, cause I believe that is Twitch the name of the young man that, or mouse. That's yeah, the mouse. Trying, yes. mouse. And I believe mouse is meant to be the guy that's doing all the programming. Cause he designed the lady in red at least. And the yeah. idea that he'd be like a lazy programmer and he would just grab assets that already existed and copy paste them makes perfect sense to me. It's such a good nod to programming in general. Prompted by uh, Mario incorrectly identifying Mouse as Twitch, I assume you were thinking of Switch, who <laughs> originally was meant to be a man in the real world. So she would her only her, yeah, the studio wouldn't let it happen. See, God but damn, that's brilliant. Right. Yeah, one of the cooler ideas that I felt like was passed on for really no reason. It's like, why not? Yeah. Like, Everybody has we... avatars in video games. Exactly. Like I was saying, they went really far out of their way to like make a choice to not allow that. The studio? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I, I'm certain, yeah. I mean, the most charitable note is just that it's confusing, but even then it's like, no, the whole movie is confusing. Yeah, just yeah. take a second and one sentence to explain it like they do everything else. All right, well, uh, moving on to The Matrix Reloaded. Um, the Matrix currently has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Matrix Reloaded falls down to a 73, which is not so bad. Dethroned Beverly Hills Cop for the highest grossing R-rated movie ever. Wow. Um, but was beaten by Passion of the Christ within the year. Okay. Ooh. I just think it's unfair, frankly, that some sort of Jesus analogy like ended up being unthroned by the original. Comeback. There can only be one. <laughs> in case anybody doesn't know, the, this was a trilogy, um, much like Back to the Future and Pirates of the Caribbean, in which the second and third chapters were released within a few months of each other. So that was a cool event. Um, but It felt long at the time, Paul. It felt like an eternity. Well, those two sequels don't play like two separate movies in any way. No, you're right. The Reloaded feels abrupt and odd. The beginning of Revolutions feels kind of like... Um, like, you've just interrupted something. You feel a little bit awkward at first. Mm -hmm. The ending of Reloaded. It's, it feels like the end of a TV show episode. Yeah. Like a cliffhanger. So, again, it's like the Matrix forming the way film, especially in the 21st century, would look, considering now that every Marvel movie is designed to look like it's predicated on the ones before it. Tons of other, like, stuff that has never really been replicated since came with the release of this sequel. A video game called Enter the Matrix was released before Reloaded, and it featured an independent plot with independently shot scenes with several of the actors that completely connects to the movie. I went ahead and watched it. Um, at the time. It just kind of sh uh, shows Niobe's whole side of the story that you don't get. But one of my least favorite things in Reloaded is the scene with the Merovingian and his wife. And that she wants the kiss from Neo because it just sort of played to me as like almost like a fanboy fantasy. Sure. And, but in Enter the Matrix, Persephone does the exact same thing to Niobe and asks Ooh. for a kiss. That doesn't so she just wants kisses a bad, not so wanting of the man as much as she is just desperate for, right? You know, uh, loving. Because I think the Wachowskis are trying to express their 
amorous or romantic lifestyle. Um, and I think that they're trying to side boot that into a major motion picture. And I think a lot of the audience just was like, I don't understand that. And I'm not going to engage with it. Obviously, the Merovingian and um, Persephone are together. They are yeah. a couple. So he's obviously always running around doing sex things. And they own like an S&M dungeon. So like clearly there's like, you know, like an openness to their relationship. And she is finding emotional connection like she used to have with him. And that uh, that's how she's trying to hurt him. No, I guess my problem with that whole sequence is that it's stupid. Um, <laughs> especially in Reloaded, where it's just wasting our time. Yeah, I, I think I would have just taken all of that out, personally. Huh. Uh, everyone's going in some pretty hard directions away from how I feel. Just to broad stroke it, I would say my take on Reloaded and Revolutions is that had it been one movie, it probably would have been pretty great. I yeah. think both suffer from being two plus hour movies when you only really needed one. And I think that there's enough nonsense in there that doesn't give you a lot of mileage that could be taken out. And the coolest set pieces could remain with all of the major plot points. And I'm pretty happy. It definitely seems like the Wachowskis thought they had the right amount of ideas to fuel two movies. And I would just say that uh, they maybe didn't. I, I couldn't tell you what they're about. I found them very confusing. And I couldn't tell you beat for beat what the plot is in Reloaded or Revolution. I would say it's clearer in Revolutions, because Revol Re Reload, it's like them just having to do a bunch of errands to mm -hmm. get to... The, ah, but to get to the, it ties directly into the point of the whole thing. It's like, do people have agency over their own choices or not? It's determinism versus free will. This whole yes. plot is errands because you think you have free will and you don't. I would argue that what stands out about the first one versus the sequels is that it is able to take complex, mind-bending ideas and uh, link them simply enough to a cool action movie with cool concepts. And I think that they could have done that again. Almost all that would have been cut besides certain action sequences that seem superfluous in comparison to others. Re-Agent Smith, you, I would... Okay, I would you can just say the burly brawl, we know. I would take the Burly Brawl, which is the fight with the Thousand Agent Smiths. That's my favorite action sequence in any of the sequels. I would take that as the final battle sequence, because nothing tops it. By the time you get to the Agent Smith fight at the end, I'm like, I've seen this. Uh, point, man. But I, things that would get cut and should get cut from both of those sequels are the speeches. Both movies are constantly people giving speeches. You can't cut that. It's the calm before the storm. It contextualizes everything that comes after. This is sort of the conversation you two are butting up against. I think you both agree. Mario just really likes all that stuff you want to cut. I just very firmly believe that you could go through both of these movies and edit them into, Topher Grace style, a better single movie. I just... Um, well, we'll Corrupt. just have to not find out because I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> um, well, let's. Does anyone have Topher Grace's information? Let's let's make that a running thing on the show. Try to get Topher Grace. There's only a couple actors' notes here when it comes to Reloaded and Revolutions. Seraph, the Oracle's bodyguard, was originally a character written for Jet Li. However, he wanted to be paid as much as Keanu Reeves for the movies. <laughs> Denied. Then it was altered to work for Michelle Yao, 
hmm. who is scheduling cool. conflicts. So, um, Paul, would you, in your cut, would you take Seraph out for time? Um, no. Okay, no. so you wouldn't go send Seraph. I wouldn't go send Seraph, and I would also probably, and this might be controversial, I would probably not bring back Agent Smith. I would get a different big bat. I'm bailing out. That's it. This is the last. I can't hear any more of this. I just think that his nut was busted. No, Um, this is what I... Gross. This is what Lauren (laughs) on our rewatch, or rather this was the TED Talk I made Lauren listen to in the kitchen after we watched the movie. Was that... Lauren, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm used to it. (laughs) The movie showed up, it was like almost, I don't think I'm going to use this right, antithetical to what we expected. It was almost going out of his way to set up plot and then step around it and just talk about why does it matter if we have plot or not at all. Yeah, you're, you're right. I so Googled it and that was the correct way to say antithetical. That's why you don't, that's why you don't want to lose any of the talking because the talking is the whole reason why they're explaining why they're not doing the things you are expecting them to do. There could be a, a great deal less talking. There was a great deal less talking in the first one. And that maybe until it, the architect scene that explored some of the most complex ideas of the trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Other casting that didn't happen. The architect, Sir Sean Connery, he, Can't say that. <laughs> he didn't get the part because he couldn't understand the concept. Fair enough. He was, hey, oh, that's, you shall be concordantly. <laughs> I, I would have failed that test too. I, I wouldn't have got to hang out with the cool kids at the Trinity Club. Easy. Paul, did you okay. come into any information about why they replaced Dozer, who is ostensibly alive at the end of that movie? You mean Tank. Tank, yeah. Tank, yes. And I, oh, I can't wait to get into that. Okay, that, see, that was, before we move on to Revolutions, okay, so, because in watching the first one again, I was sort of delighted by how charismatic Tank is. That performance is excellent, and it made me wonder why we don't see that actor yeah. anymore. He has the so, mania of a zealot, and I love that. Yeah, guy. absolutely. He's got the chops for everything. He's got it for the cool moments. He's got it for the badass moments. He's got it for the serious moments. Apparently, he was offered 250000 to come back for the sequels. Uh, he asked for a million, and they wouldn't give it to him. So he, oh, by the way, this actor whose name is Marcus Chong is the adopted son of Tommy Chong. No shit. Yes. (laughs) So he sued the Wachowskis uh, because his contract that he signed, uh, you know, said that he needed, he would have to be appear in the sequels. It was a rough legal battle that sort of ended up getting him blackballed uh, in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess nobody um, really wants to work with a liability. Like, oh, if I'm mean to you, you might sue me. I'll just not cast you. I don't know. Smells fishy. And I want well, you to... It th- bothered me in terms of reference to Tank that they do reference Tank, but they never say what happened to him in I the like sequel. That. That's, that's they, a nice building. It's a dangerous It's a dangerous place, Paul. No, I did, well, but, but you know what happened to Dozer. I would yeah. just... I feel like uh, the least they could have done is give us an extra sentence. If they're going to give us all these speeches... <laughs> Concurrently, you did the only thing you were meant to do, Neo. You were returned to the source. By the way, Tank died off screen. There's a scene with a security guard. They may, they break into the Matrix when there's a shift change. One security guard is leaving, and the other security guard is about to fall asleep. The one security guard says, "Hey, you can you can sleep at home." Hmm. And then he says, "Why they pay me to sleep here?" 
Yeah. <laughs> and and then it, it 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 pans down to the security footage where they've already broken in and are already walking by. <laughs> so I really love how many details in a row make that guy incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he just started, he's falling asleep. He doesn't care about his job and he already missed it. Like he's <laughs> the worst. That security guard that I mentioned, by the way, is the director of photography for the movies, Bill Pope. Oh, shit. He's played. Oh, Pretty cool. That's fun. That was a, a detail that I missed before and I thought that was very cool. Boy, there's so many. I like, I don't even know what to bring up. I do also like that in the first one specifically, they never really bring it, pick it back up, but um, Morpheus is concerned that Neo won't be able to recover from the shock of finding out the truth. Well, I guess Morpheus isn't, but others are, because they establish that once a mind is of a certain age, they can't come back from it. Right. So, uh, which I thought was very, very cool. It was it was a factor that I hadn't really remembered about the movie, and I almost wish they would have explored it. It will be explored in my pitch. They, what was um, it? I really liked when the uh, councilman has that line when he says he doesn't like to sleep because I spent the first 12 years of my life sleeping. That's the yeah. only indicator, really, of what the general, in the movies, anyway, of the general aid they typically free people. It's children. They were playing Sega yesterday, and today they're in some kind of hell. Because I imagine the machine, oh yeah, the machines breed, the machines control the breeding. I didn't assume that there was any breeding. I assumed that everyone was just given, like, they just made a human and then, and then programmed that human to think, oh, these are your parents. That like, oh, uh, so you just sort of show up and, like, they alter the code so that everyone remembers you already being there? Correct. Yeah. See, I have this whole theory about, like, they, t you know, if two avatars meet in the Matrix and copulate, then the machines have to go, like, all right, well, you go get the egg. I'm going to go collect the semen sample. Well, then they know, can't oh, control the population. They can't control anything if they're just leaving it up to us. Yeah, I think I, that was my assumption anyway i mean just i i feel like with everything uh, when it comes to the matrix you have to sort of like round it off to <laughs> yeah whatever would be simplest sure you know i don't have to think about uh, that but i assume it would work all right well so then chugging right along as fast <laughs> as we are so far into the matrix revolutions 35 percent on rotten tomatoes which uh, I find to be extremely harsh i i would say that i think revolutions works better as a film on its own than Reloaded. I do remember at the time liking three the least, but in watching it again, I think it is because two is more similar to one. I see what you mean. Two was face level giving me what I wanted. It was giving me Neo, Morpheus, and Trinity acting and looking cool again and, and doing the all the stuff again that I saw again. And then... Three was like where everything sort of changed direction, and Neo was uh, first uh, comatose, and then he was blinded, and then it was like all, all the things that I I kept thinking I wanted were all sort of like changed and taken away. I think it was just a situation where people thought maybe the third one would turn the franchise back into something a little bit more recognizable and chewy than the way we all expected this to go. And as soon as word was out that it does not do that, it's more, more whatever the second one was. It's more of that. People went, yeah. okay. I'm yeah. Another unprecedented and uh, unreplicated thing that the release of this movie did is uh, Revolutions had a simultaneous global release. Oh, wow. The film oh. at the exact same moment in every major city in the world. 
which meant 6 a.m. in Los Angeles, 9 a.m. in New York, 2 in London, 5 in Moscow, 11 p.m. in Tokyo, 1 a.m. in Sydney, which That's I think is incredible. super cool. It and all three movies and largely the Wachowski filmography, maybe not all, but largely, will will be remembered, I think, much more favorably than it's looked on today. Also but they don't, but it's certainly, I think that uh, what can be taken away is that the Wachowskis are not necessarily interested in making the digestible or the. Right, which I think we need more. I'm, I really yeah. hope Matrix 4 ends up being more of that and we don't just get like, oh, you guys hated the last ones, here's this. Paul, I have a question about the Matrix 4. What okay. do you suspect the plot of this sequel might be or should be? I don't want to spend the time trying to guess how they will blow my mind this time, and I'm just going to hope that they do it. Yeah. Once it comes out, I'm sure I'm going to have a very loud opinion on whether it was good or bad and where the good points were and where the bad points were. Well, classic most people, I think, but I would (laughs) say that in other franchises, I might take a shot, like Ghostbusters or something like that. But when it comes to The Matrix, it's, it's not my purview. These are not the kind of things that I wondered about before the first Matrix showed them to me. And so right. I feel that I am, uh, I'm not almost worthy. The, the reason I will go to the bat for the Matrix sequels forever is that the Wachowskis came with a, a compelling and interesting and thematic way to change the nature of the conflict between human and machines away from, I'm going to murder you and you don't want me to, to a Cold War where now the two powers have some semblance of balance with each other which to me is infinitely more compelling than what I think most people assumed would happen was that Zion would somehow figure out a way to kill all of the machines, clean the sky up and plant gardens. Like it's the end of the wall E credits. And the matrix still exists. So there are still those who will be plugged in and there will those who will be freed. I like it on paper a lot. And it also makes me optimistic for four. (laughs) I really enjoyed it from, uh, uh, revolutions. Uh, sorry, so 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 they get to. The, I don't remember what the fight is, but it, I know it's like they get on an elevator and they don't know how many guards there's going to be. But there's like a guy at the counter and there's a bunch of guns behind him. The more Avengers, you remember that, right? And then they jump to the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're right. Okay, right. So they're fighting the people that are on the ceiling. They're yeah. shooting at each other. Yeah. So what I really enjoyed in that scene is that you get this shot of one of those upside down guys doing a bunch of flips, which we've seen all of our matrix good guys do Yeah, a million times. And every time they do flips, all the bullets miss. Yeah. But with that guy, you get to see him flip a little bit and then he just gets riddled with bullets. Yes. I love that shot so much. Yeah. I really (laughs) enjoyed that because I was like, okay, good. They are showing that it doesn't work every time. Way to put in the effort, bud, but I have bad news. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) See, I don't love that action sequence. Um, I think that's the worst action sequence in the series. No, I mean, I don't either. I'm just saying. Well, it just I, 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 feels like a studio note. They were like, you remember when you shot hallway uh, pillars and uh, everyone loved it? What if that again? And then they were like, well, what do you mean with that again? We did that. And they were like, okay, but like, I don't know, fix it. And they were like, fuck, I guess they could jump on the ceiling. Because it just well, feels see, I, so not interesting and not integral to the plot. Yeah. With the exception of the multiple Agent Smith fight in two, I would say that that is, I like, I like a lot of the action sequences, but I would say that the problem with most of them in two and three and not including the ones that take place in the real world. 
But the ones that take place in the Matrix are just sort of like an insert action sequence here type of thing. And the emphasis seems to be on new types of bad guys instead sure. of agents or instead of what we saw in the first one. It's like, oh, how, what's who's our new bad guy for this scene? And it's really unsatisfying in a lot in a lot of instances. It's like specifically, I keep thinking of the twins who mm. are really cool and who have a cool ability that is used well to some extent. And then when they die, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, See, I agree that they don't end up dead. They just like end the fight there, though. Like, if the movie wanted, they could just like, recover from that large explosion and I get guess my assumption is that they would, but then they don't. Yeah, you're right. Because like the movie's done with that fight. I see what you mean. Like that's a lot of the yeah. movie. I also have a lot of beef while we're on the topic of like the elasticity of threat level. Like you know, Neo in the first one goes to a place where he is literally no longer threatened by anything in the Matrix. He is literally one-handed, super special effect, blocking right. all the blows, and can just destroy agents. And the second one, because they have to have fights, they yeah. throw the line upgrades. Great, great. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. fine with that. But Trinity already, or who was there, whomever it was that explained to Neo, if you see an agent run, I think it's Trinity says it, if you see an agent, do what we do and run. Now in the second one, the, the agents are upgraded enough that they can put up with Neo. And Morpheus still spends the biggest action sequence in Act 2 of that movie toe-to-toe with an agent. And I recognize yeah. that he's still at a disadvantage, but like, Again, that's a super elasticity of like how strong are they supposed to be? What's threatening to who in these movies? Because again, if no, I'm I, I totally it, what saying, but I mean, like when you get into questions like that, then you get into like, well, why aren't more cops turning into agents constantly? You know what I mean? Like, if 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 the anomalies are anywhere in the matrix, why aren't agents just swarming them? You know, right. You know what? I'm off of it. Let's not pitch movie sequels. Anyone has any ideas for how they could solve these problems in future movies? Is that you? (laughs) I thought it was all of us. What are we doing here? (laughs) Okay, okay. You're right. You're right. And that is that. You know what? I'm going to take it this time, Travis. All right. And I'm going to say great transition. And at the same time, I am going to do a real quick aside just to mention because i always mention all the weird uh unofficial sequels that exist there is another video game called the matrix online yeah that uh uh continues the story from matrix revolutions it doesn't exist anymore the game but it was a game that sort of that uh, that pushed the storyline further only in what things would happen in the matrix didn't you play that like, mario i never did uh i I have spent more time on the wiki than you would believe. And (laughs) yeah, they did some really compelling stuff. They had players into the game, players like, uh, you know, employees of the company that ran it would enter the game. And like, if you were in the right place at the right time, Morpheus would show up and say things and they would be canonical things that would matter later in the story of that game. They were trying to do some cool stuff. It's a shame that that didn't go over better because man, it was just, you know, the Wachowski's ambition has always been, ahead of reality i just think right at the time that was not the time to do the game they wanted i think that time was probably like i don't know five years later i don't know anything about mmos well and i guess well i mean mmos aside like when you're looking at something like enter the matrix it is a very cool example of a video game based on a movie because it is a video game tied into not only a movie but a separately released animated short film movie yeah Yeah. which is like so cool in so many ways but 
video game movies just don't get the time and money, I guess. Like, I guess the ambition is just like, oh, we want it to be this cool. And then they go, yeah, yeah, we'll do what we can. Yeah. Right. Moving past all, all of that very interesting stuff into the questions so we can finally, uh, you know, get out of here one day. Um, should this movie, The Matrix, have a sequel? Yes. Yeah. 1,000%. It's, it's annoying to me that it's taken this long. Well, it does. Thank you. What do you mean? And an Animatrix, so you've gotten a lot of sequels. With the exception of the Animatrix, I'm going to say no. Oh. oh. That's gone the other um, way entirely. I mean, yes, I do want to see how the one breaks the Matrix, but I don't know that it could ever be satisfying? Live up to your expectations. Yeah, and I don't know that it's necessary in terms of giving the first one its props, because it is so ahead of the game in so many ways and so cool that I think the coolest note that it could possibly end on is that one. And then if you have the Animatrix there to give you those bits of backstory and like the further explore the other ideas, I don't know that you need more. I'm changing my answer. I agree. (laughs) Uh, So I'm sorry, Mario. I I didn't, I didn't, when I invited you here, no, I I mean, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I, I, I'll find a way to forgive you eventually, but it, it's going to take. No, 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 bother. Why would you? No, oh. no. We have a we have a fifty fifty split, and then uh, the next question uh, that precedes the pitches: sequel or prequel? What's the sweet spot? I've already said I think the Animatrix rules, and so I would say prequel rules, which is maybe the first time I've said that. Yeah, true. Um, I would say rich enough territory for either. Uh, mine personally is going to be a prequel, but if I was going to take an actual swing for real, I think sequel is the way to go. I think that the Matrix is just as rich in terms of content where you could go as Star Wars has ever been, honestly. But in terms of like what yeah. stories could you tell? I can't think of an endpoint, honestly. It's so wide. You go back, prequels, sequels. Well, um, this is why you're here. Yeah, Oh, you're right. Well, and that's why I like, that's why I can't give enough credit to the Animatrix. It's like, because I could could take stories like that all day that branch off of just concepts from, you know, the idea of the Matrix. You're going to love my... Um, but it, but do I need to continue the, the main story and sort of see the, how that shakes out? That's pretty low on my list. I would agree with you. I think Neo's story is flat, done. What else could you wring out of the one guy who did his thing already? What's left to see is him breaking the Matrix, essentially, but... Well, but even then, he was never meant to free all the machines. That was a lie that the machines told us. We only know that, yeah, but that's it's a sequel. Yeah, that's according to the trilogy, not to the oh, first one. Oh, I'm sorry. I get it. We're not saying, does the Matrix trilogy deserve a sequel? We're saying, does the Matrix 1999 deserve a sequel? Yes. Okay. Well, sh- not deserve. Probably yes, because absolutely it deserves as many sequels as it wants, because it was so cool. Should it have one, is the question. Story uh, does, does your heart tell you? You know, here's a controversial opinion. No. For me, no, that's... Everyone's opinion except mine so far, Mark. So I, I just thought yeah. it'd be controversial if I said it because I'm supposed to be the guy who thinks make. No, you're right. Forever, yeah. Oh, okay. Lauren says yes. Certified. Wait, Lauren's back to yes. No, no, I, I agree that Mario's oh. opinion is controversial considering how much he loves the sequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Based on the things I liked absolutely the most in the first Matrix, which probably as cool as all the fighting and all the stuff 
is in it. The stuff I like the most is the first act in which he's brought in and the concept is initially given and he's they plant the bug in him and they like like how scary and crazy that is to be with him on that part of the ride is probably my favorite part of the ride and so i think maybe the best way to watch the matrix get broken by the one would be through someone else's perspective interesting i was going to request to go first um i have intentionally kept my pitch short and light and lengthy pitches from mario (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, considering how long we've already been talking, I am already a hero for this short pitch. So if no objections, I'll go first. Go for it. Great. Glad to have everyone's attention. Let me tell you what I believe. You won't know this is a Matrix film going in. Kind of like how Split was a sneak sequel to Unbreakable. You will uh-huh. assume this is a movie about whatever and then blah, blah, the Matrix. Um, so it's called Model. Um, it's about a group of somewhere between paranormal investigators and actual scientists, um, a, an artistic conclave of lateral thinking scientists have all come together because they have this house in the middle of town that's been there. It's a very, very old house. Inside that house is a model of the house. And no one knows where it came from. Uh, it's just always been there. So they all, they have come into possession of this real estate and they're tinkering. Anything you do in the model of the house happens in the house proper and they can't figure out why. And so then as you go through the movie, they're guessing like, is it supernatural? Is it ghosts? Is it this? Is it that? Um, at no point will you think, uh, you know, it's a computer simulation that you're in, whatever. You'll, it'll be Mr. X all over the place. Um, and it will end with them figuring it out, uh, only to wake up you know, in the those Matrix pods that everyone sees. And you're supposed to go, oh, oh, Matrix movie. Um, now, the only way to make that not just a gimmicky, obnoxious ending is I think you have to kind of make it a dark comedy so that when they wake up in the Matrix, you can kind of play it for like, well, now look at what you've gotten us into um, sort of moment. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I can tell. And sure. Yep. No, no, no. Critics I think it was. Short. I think it was just shorter, even than anticipated. Cool. So my, <laughs> the only no, no, no. not not short enough. Lauren, do you have a pitch also? I do, and it is also a prequel. Okay, rad. Damn, a lot of prequels. Okay, cool. Um, okay, well, who wants to go next? Can I go next? Yes. I'm nervous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Remember. Well, you won the last one. You're coming in hot. Oh yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, so, elevator pitch. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. Beatrice is the second iteration of the one. It's 1850 Wild West America, 50 people in the town, one Marshall Smith. Only electricity is a telegraph machine in the Marshall's office. So, i.e., there's no way for people outside the Matrix to contact anyone in the, ma- in the Matrix. All right, the first scene is night, cowboy town. There's light, the lightning storm starting. We see Beatrice dragging a thick pole out into the desert outside her home. There's already a hole dug for the hole. She puts the pole in the hole and stands clutching it. Lightning strikes closer and closer to where she's standing, but not hitting the pole. Closer and closer until we can see the lightning in her eyes. The hair on her arm stands on end. We cut to title card. The Matrix. Retrogression. 
Ooh, neat. We follow Beatrice in her everyday life. She's walking through the town. They have, like, wrestling slash fighting as a sport in the town. And she has noticed a man named Judd who is, like, very good at it. She approaches him and asks if he can teach her some self-defense. Because she knows none. And he does. Oh, so then we see her once again outside trying to, like, there's another lightning storm. She has the pole out. She's trying. Whenever she notices that, off in the distance, she notices the marshal um, and the town drunk, like, sort of facing off. And, like, town drunk's, like, saying whatever, like, hassling him. And um, tries to attack him. And the marshal, uh, with wicked speed, shoots him. And the town drunk turns into light and disappears. Much to Beatrice's horror, of course. So the next day she's in town and she sees the marshal escorting the town drunk into jail. So she's like, that's weird. Because he disappeared into light. So she goes to investigate, goes to the marshal's office, asks if she can talk to the town drunk. The marshal says no. Um, he leaves the room for a time, allowing a telegraph come, to come through. Beatrice recognizes the Morse code and only doesn't recognize one word she hears, Matrix. She finds all of this very odd. She goes to talk to Judd, the man who helped her learn how to fight. He said that he has also noticed weird stuff in the town. And Beatrice confides in him about a childhood thing that happened to her where she was swimming in a lake and it got struck by lightning. And for the briefest second, she saw something she could not account for, the real world. And ever since then, she's been trying to replicate that instance to get another glimpse of what she saw but could not account for. Four bandits uh, have beef with the sheriff. They face off with him high noon style. He kills them all with impossible speed. Um, the whole town sees this. Some of them see, see that it's weird. Beatrice secretly confides in all of them and is like, hey, man, don't you guys think this is kind of weird? Uh, they agree. Bring us to the final showdown uh, between Beatrice and Marshall Smith. It's again high noon style. Another storm is brewing. Uh, Beatrice tries to fight the Marshall with her, like, you know, meager self-defense stuff. But she tries, but it's too much. I mean, it's, it's not enough to beat the Marshall. While well, all this time the storm is brewing hot, uh, hotter and hotter, and Beatrice gets st struck by lightning. But instead of dying... It envelops her, her body, and courses through her, and she realizes she can control it. Marshall Smith is, cool. is like, he can't account for this. So in his moment of hesitation and shock, she grabs him and holds onto him as tight as she can. They are both enveloped in the lightning. Marshall Smith screams. They both envelop more and more until they are just pure beings of light. And all of a sudden, poof, we are with Beatrice in her pod, in the real world, she wakes up, she pulls out her breathing apparatus, and looks around in horror. She notices that in the towers of pods around here, the lights are going off, one by one, tower closer and closer to her. And as the darkness reaches her, the screen goes dark. We pull out. The screen is one of many on the architect's council. We see the architect in his chair, obviously pondering his failed scenario. He turns, and Marshall Smith is standing next to him. Architect regards him, taps his pen, and Marshall turns into the into Agent Smith. Architect then nods to himself, and we have credits. 
Great. It's a failed matrix. Like the the program doesn't work, and that's why the pods are all going off. The second of the seven iterations of the love it. Well, both so far, you and Travis, as I think your guys's films translate best as short films, like animatrix style, right? Matrix chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Now, Travis's. I think could work independently of the sequels. Yours is dependent on the concept of the architect. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Pre- a prequel to the trilogy, whereas mine fits in anywhere around just the first movie. Mine doesn't need the sequels. Yours does though. These would work really nicely in this sort of the animatrix 2000. Yeah. Give yeah. me, give me that. I want that. Yeah. 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 I will go next. I'm going to keep the prequel thing going, but I have bad news. I'm sorry. I forgot that I was only supposed to focus on the Matrix. So these are both. Both include the trilogy. Yeah. That's fine. I, I really love those sequels. All right. Well, let's. Okay. So let's do your prequel and then I'll do my sequel and then we'll end on your sequel. Sounds good. That's okay. Let me tell you why you're here. My prequel would be called the Penulta Matrix. <laughs> it would go a little something. Ugly. Thank you. I hate the way it looks in my mind. <laughs> I hate it. Um, it would go a little something like this. So the whole pitch is the sixth one instead of the second or the seventh, which was Keanu. Uh, it's very familiar. A lot of, you know, it's like the way Lucas likes it when it rhymes. Uh, the one is awoken and gains agency over his powers and destroys a version of Smith and everything. And that's all kind of like act one-ish stuff. The Neo-Trinity relationship, though, is very notably a casual thing. It's more like office flirty. You know, they obviously have chemistry. They're obviously into each other, but it's not like definitely cruising for like, I'm going to be in love with you forever. Um, and then additionally, the philosophy leans real hard into determinism versus free will, like right away. Like, do you make choices because you can or do you make choices because you have to? Uh, and then Smith and Neo talk about that a lot more. And Smith is really writing Neo about how you don't have any choices you think you do. And of course, Neo's like, yes, I do. I have free will all the time. I think that's a right. does Paul have a question. Yeah, this is a prequel. Yes, this is the sixth. Oh, okay, got it. Which is so why it's the penultimate matrix. Second movie is, is required viewing for the prequel. Got it. Okay, okay that's fine. Prequel to the yeah, trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're somewhere in the like still Act One, Act Two ish. It's a lot of like the audience is like, yeah, I've seen this before. It's all very familiar, you know. Except like obviously the actors are different. Yeah. So it, you know, somewhere at the end of Act Two, Neo does the destroy Smith thing, but there's a conversation specifically about Neo telling Smith, like, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to send you back to the source, but I'm going to get you out of my air because I'm choosing, I'm making a choice right now not to kill you. And Smith will say something like, oh, you're going to pay for this. Maybe not now, but one day. And then Smith is gone. Act three would start and it would basically be like the matrix reloaded, except that this time when Neo gets the architect, he realizes that he ha- he's clear. Like, you know, we've the whole theme of the movie is like, Neo's like, yeah, I make choices. It's not predetermined. Ba da uh, he gets there, and then it'd be written well, so the audience would get the emotional feeling of hoping and rooting for Six, but knowing the whole time that he definitely will have to reboot the Matrix and kill everyone in Zion. So he makes a deal with the architect, and he says, uh, I'll do this thing for sure, but you've got to sweeten the pot for me just a little bit. I want me and I want my Trinity to survive the reboot. And the, the, the architect is like, that literally, that literally costs me nothing. Fine. Get the thing done, and we'll move on with it. And he goes, okay, great. So he goes back in, and he dooms everyone in Zion at the time and everyone in the matrix and picks oh. his 14 and seven and they reboot. So he does. It because he chose to reboot their specific love. That does lead to the victory. What I did instead was uh, he goes to the source and instead of being destroyed. He finds himself and Trent alive again. 
they are slightly changed now because it's a new matrix. And it is here that we, the audience, realize that they looked eer- eerily familiar the whole time because the Merovingian and Persephone are now setting out to create the world they want for themselves in this, the seventh matrix. So that's my less good than Travis's thing. Sorry. Yes, it's good too. I'm so sorry. The one is the Merovingian. Yeah, I always like the idea that the Merovingian. That was your head cannon. Yeah, he's not just a program. He's a previous Neo who did what he was supposed to. And that's why he's so like, there is no free will, motherfucker. You will do what everyone tells you because he tragically believed the opposite and it was ground out of him by the the system that he chose to become a part of in his failing. Because that to me at least made sensible that it is a prequel because like that story is not important, but it would be emotionally compelling. And I like the idea that it at least sets up somewhat why Smith is able to just show back up with free will in in returns. Or reloaded. Okay, yeah, that's cool. I do. I, th- your your pitch made me realize I do have a an overarching plot question about the trilogy. Okay, shoot. Smith is a program that grows too powerful for the Matrix to handle, and that is why they make the accord with Neo. Yes, it's, that happened every time. No, before this. This is the first time that happened. Maybe that would have happened every time. We don't know because we always reset the matrix. Yeah, immediately after that, everything exploded and we started over again. Yeah. The re-entry of Smith happens before that. Right, but it's, it's just you're not much that problem never got out of hand. Right, before. exactly. So you would never have had to make the deal because we never got the equation never got that far. Okay, got it. Um, this is going to be a really weird transition after all of those pitches, because mine is a pitch that I made after watching the first one before watching any of the others, just trying to uh, put myself in a mindset of like, oh, if I had just seen this first one, what would I want to see happen next? And also, on some level, trying not to use anything from the sequels I'm, that I remember. I'm so sorry it didn't occur to me that that was the assignment, because that is such a like a more compelling assignment. I, I, sh- I should have done that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not as uh, uh, disappointed in you as Travis, because uh, he right. Joe is, but... Um, that tracks. Oh, well. No, I mean, but at the same time, I... I same time, get it together. Mine's, mine's, mine's going to be too long and annoying and shit. So, like, it's going to be weird. Let's see how this goes together. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. A badass human female hacker who goes by the codename Rose with a Z, so R-O-Z-E, works for the agents of the Matrix um, and does everything in her long list of abilities, some of which mirror Neo's own to find the likes of the international terrorists Neo, Morpheus, and Trinity. He can't see you, Mario. Oh, shit. I have my hand up. <laughs> oh, so you have a question already. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. What happened? How do, <laughs> what how, do we, how do we know how Rose is spelled? Oh, because you see it. Uh, it's her hacker name. Oh, so it's like text somewhere. Okay, great. There, there's no twist that reveals it. Just like there's no twist that reveals Neo means one, right. but Rose means zero. Oh, yes. oh that's oh, clever. Oh, you genius. Great. So she works for the agents of the Matrix, in the Matrix. She does everything to try to track down Neo, Morpheus, and, and Trinity, and co. Uh, but when she witnesses her hacker boyfriend, who goes by the alias Cinnabot, being willingly taken by these enemies, she decides to change up her approach and seeks out the Nebuchadnezzar crew independently of the agents in her own time. 
upon eventually meeting them and taking the red pill, Rose has a mental breakdown and goes into like a comatose state of shock. Morpheus doubts that she'll survive, but Neo seems almost eerily optimistic. The next morning, she's totally fine. Trinity doesn't trust this, and she also questions why Neo didn't find Rose himself, because, oh, okay, well, I'll get into that in a second, but, uh, so Morpheus sends Trinity to visit the Oracle where she lives in the real world to get some answers. So in my version, the Oracle is not a program, she is a person. Okay. Plugs into the Matrix. I dig it. So it turns out that Cinnabot was one of several key players found by Neo across the world in the Matrix for the assembly of a team put together for one mission, hacking the Matrix. In this way, the film becomes a heist movie. Elements of the heist include breaking into a central source code locale, and another involves hacking into an agent, which involves a comedic scene that has Cinnabot trying to hide his human personality in the form of an agent. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so the end goal of the heist is to free all humans at once, cutting off the machine's power source while simultaneously launching a last stand type of attack with the forces of Zion. Wow. Some things have evolved thanks to Neo. Uh, for instance, he, Morpheus, and Trinity no longer need landlines to leave the program. They can just uh, wake themselves up. Oh. Early on in the heist action, Oh, uh, so Rose, who has regained consciousness, she proves her worth by saving Neo's life by helping him escape after he struggles uh, to face some agents or something like that. She saves his life, and this puts Morpheus's suspicions to rest. However, when Trinity arrives to speak to the Oracle, whom she is surprised to find out is a Weasley man in real in the real world, so uh. I'm then taking the switch thing, uh. plugging it in there. And he created the Oracle as sort of a more palatable version of what, what his abilities allow him to do. Trinity is warned of an inverse of Neo, essentially Zion's Antichrist. Ooh. Sentinels arrive from nowhere, and a battle ensues. The Oracle pulls off some cool tricks to defend herself, but is ultimately killed. Her slash himself. Trinity makes her last stand against the Sentinels, but we don't see what happens. <gasps> Trinity. We go back to the heist. The heist goes off without a hitch, as does the battle that comes after, and humankind is free to the Matrix. But something isn't right. Neo keeps having memories of a woman he once knew that's never existed named Trinity. Eventually, he realizes the truth and immediately tells Morpheus, This isn't real. Wake up! Ooh. Neo Ooh. makes himself wake up to find that he's still somewhere in the Matrix, and he's facing what looks like a sea of agents. He never left the holodeck. So here, Neo, I'm essentially taking the Agent Smith battle, the Thousand Agent Smith battle, and making it Neo's sort of ultimate standoff against the Matrix. Except for it's not Smith, it's just agents in general. Okay. Orpheus, meanwhile, wakes up on the Nebuchadnezzar, where we see that the rest of the heist crew are still tapped into the Matrix. Rose is flying the ship towards Zion with an army of sentinel sentinels bringing up the rear. Morpheus pretends to be asleep while she wakes. While Rose wakes up Cinnabot and reveals her plan, uh, he tries to talk her out of it, and she kills him, saying, "I'll just make another one of you." Uh, Rose goes on to unplug the whole heist crew, except for Neo, but is stopped before she gets to Morpheus by the arrival of Trinity. <laughs> Trinity. Morpheus reveals that he's awake. She insists that he leave to warn Zion of what's coming. 
um, while she holds off Rose. And so he escapes in like a pod and flies ahead to Zion. So Neo is fighting the agents. He's making quick work of them individually, but their sheer numbers are starting to overwhelm him. Rose is more powerful than Trinity because I'm thinking, I don't know how this would be revealed, but the backstory is that she is a like hybrid daughter of Agent Smith, where she's part machine, part human. Okay. And that has been what allows her to reach the real world. So she's fighting Trinity while Nia's fighting the agents. And then separately, uh, Morpheus is leading the armies of Zion into their last stand against the machines. Basically, it all comes down to Neo. He's thought to be lost uh, beneath the sheer weight of all the agents, but instead he goes into sort of Neo code mode and finds uh, that like everything in the Matrix, for him, the agents are malleable. So he swims through them, shredding them to pieces with his swimming strokes first, and then he begins drinking them. Oh. And everything uh, basically seems hopeless uh, for the humans against the machines, but once Neo has essentially sucked upon <laughs> the code of the agents, he, uh, he and he's now standing alone in the in the room. He now has the code within himself and is in control is in control of the Matrix himself. He travels through the code into each Sentinel and other enemy robot until they're all sort of neutralized at once. This includes. Half of Rose, who's sort of half oh, machine, half of her that's machine, which allows Trinity the advantage to turn the tables and mop the floor with her. Ha <laughs> ha! Okay, um, that's cool. So Neo escapes the Matrix, blasting the plug out of his own head or something, um, sure. and uh, reunites with Trinity, thanking her for being responsible for saving all of humankind. Because if he hadn't loved her so much that he remembered her, he might still be stuck in the Matrix within the Matrix. The survivors start rebuilding society. Morpheus sort of steps into like an unexpected role as like a new oracle of sorts. And the story ends with him and Neo waxing philosophical about the subject of the Antichrist, with Morpheus asking, how can we ever know which was which? Perhaps hers was the true path all along. To which Neo responds, whatever side we're on, we earned our shot. And I call this hack the matrix. That, that right. I, there are definitely parts of that I'm a big fan of. This does feel more, I want to use the phrase palatable for the audience, considering the trilogy we actually got, which I suppose in that, in that scenario, it's a very good pitch. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, as I said, I don't consider myself as, as smart as for, or forward thinking as the Wachowskis. And I appreciated the questions that they gave us with their sequels. It's a stupider movie for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, just, a, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I did but, write down one question during your pitch. Uh, if you don't mind, I just want to bounce this off of you. Please, please. I just wrote drinking question mark and underlined it thrice. Yeah, I think it I think it was more a matter of not having a full idea for that moment because in the first one and basically in the third one, Neo is inside of Agent Smith and shatters him from within. Sure, which is So I, I was trying to sort of think of what uh what a different uh like how to get the code inside of Neo specifically and what could look different. Like it's a, more of one of those things you could like he like absorb him. 
Yeah, Maybe. that's what I would say. He just starts like grabbing them and then like you know like sucking them in, like digitizing them and absorbing them. Yeah, which is like a form of yeah. Creeping. That's how plants. Yeah, work. I mean, I guess more about it in the sense of like uh, uh, there's that I don't remember Seven Brothers or something. There's like a I don't remember what it is, but it's it's I think it's a Chinese, it's a group of Chinese brothers, and I know one of them drinks the. Sea. Yes, they each have it's special a- abilities, and they're like they're twins. So the whole gimmick is. The one drinks the sea and everyone's super pissed at him, so they're going to punish him. So each brother shows up for each punishment and uses their superpower to, like, defeat yeah. punishment, I believe. Like, one's invulnerable to fire and stuff. Like, it's actually called Five Wonderful Superhero Friends. I have the book right here. Retold. There's no way that's what it's actually called. <laughs> Yi Hong, I think, is how it's pronounced. Are you kidding? That's the actual book? Wonderfully illustrated. Yeah. Wow. My mind is blown. Let me see. Hang on. Wow. See, here's a guy doing what you described, digging with his hands. Yeah, this is good for a podcast, Travis. Show us more pictures. Oh, yeah. Some of the best podcasts are describing picture books <laughs> vaguely. <laughs> but yes, I totally, uh, yeah, there, something should be better there. That's that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just gently ribbing you. I like the idea that, like, Neo begins to, like, literally... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Internalize matrix code, and by reaching a critical level of matrix code, he is then able to understand the totality of the matrix. Yeah, crap, thunder, basically. Like that's what unlocks his ability to like transcend even further to the point where he is God now and can like break the matrix. Well, and also what I like about that is if it weren't for the matrix itself wanting to defeat him they probably would have been okay. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's oversimplified, but I kind of think that the first one is oversimplified well, yeah. in comparison. No, so I, see, I, see, I mean, I think you definitely meet your goal of like, if you're trying to make a pitch to the matrix that is engaging in the level that the matrix is, this is a movie that feels much more straightforward. Like, yeah, that's how you would solve the actual beat up the matrix problem. Cause yeah, I guess, you know, what you do elegantly is raise and clarify the stakes. So it is a final. Well, it's, it's sort of like one of those things where it's like um, just uh, compacting everything uh, makes it makes the movie seem fun. Like, for example, I was wondering this time around watching the first one, Cypher uh, makes this deal with the agents to screw everybody over and blah, 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 blah. Master but Christ. he's been there for been in there for five years waiting for the one. The one shows up. And then a couple days into knowing the guy, he's like, okay, well, now is when I'm going to betray everyone, jump ship and, and betray everybody and, and, and decide to totally stop believing. It seems like he already had one foot off the ship, you know? <laughs> I mean, for sure. But at the same time, it's like, why wouldn't you give it a couple more days sure. when it's like, well, yeah, you I mean, finally found if you, if you yeah. wanted to just like, if, you know, check the movie's math, you could argue that like maybe he didn't have the option to do this until maybe the agent right. reached out to him just now, and they're like, this is the deal, take it, or I guess we'll just kill you. Right, now it's serious enough that they are willing to. Right. Or whatever. Yeah, you know what, actually, I would argue, because they want access to the Zion mainframe specifically from Cypher, so I would argue that once the one does show up, that's the end game for that Matrix. I think you have to look at it less literally than that. You have to, like, look at the the story that they're trying to tell, and... And then you have to kind of go like, well, at this point in the story, we're talking about this versus that and free will versus humanity. We need the betrayal of the whatever, you know, because they're drawing from a thousand different sources. I I assume it's all structured very particularly. So you kind of have to go 
this is just the time at which this happens. Right. It just it's coincidence, but yeah. it's not that big of an act. Yeah. Right. I buy that. Well, I don't have a big problem with it, but I'm saying that's movie logic in general. Right. So like compacted tends to be the best way to tell a story. Well, and I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of the idea that like if you if you're telling a story well, like JJ Abrams, as much as I don't love a lot of what he does, he usually manages to use craft so well that you don't yeah. realize you have a bunch of problems with the movie until you're like in the car on the way home. Right. And you just get away right. with that when they're constructed well. You don't go, hey, wait a minute, that's a weird coincidence. You just go, that movie's awesome. They blew up that guy yeah. and did Kung Fu. So. Oh, they did blow up that guy. I remember that. You, usually with even the most perfect movies, you can say, yeah, it has a couple plot holes, but it's so gosh dang good. Right, because it's an emotional know? experience as much as it is an intellectual one. And that's why I think Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest directors of all time, because he's a master of like, don't look at that. Keep paying attention. But yeah. Okay, so we gotta hear this last pitch and then and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. It's been about a decade since Neo did his thing, and we find ourselves clearly inside the Matrix at the beginning of the movie, and a group very similar to the crew we're used to, of like, you know, four or five cool leather wearing sunglasses people doing something neat, are breaking are they running an op to free just like, you know, some large group of people and like tell them, hey, you're in the Matrix. If you choose to, you can leave. Um, they run afoul of agents. And just as they're about to break out into the usual badass fighting, we cut back to the real world and their operator, our heroine, who's on one of their ships. But it's like a clean, built on purpose ship, more like a 747 than the rusty old bucket that Nebuchadnezzar was. There's a bizarre surge in her Matrix screen code. And then all of a sudden, all three of her screens begin blinking one line of Matrix text. All of a sudden, we hear five flatline noises, and she spins around to the people in their jack-in chairs, and they are all dead. So it turns out that this decade of humans leaving the Matrix by their own free will, which was sort of the agreement that was made with the Cold War between the machines and the humans, that's been really taxing the machines. Because, again, we are their batteries, so they're having to like cut way back on stuff to get by. Now... There's something, some random thing that happens where like an explosion destroys like a huge swath of their energy farms and they're even more impacted than they were before. Um, so like in cool fight scenes now, periodically, whenever they're doing matrixy stuff and they're like really pushing the matrix, you start to get like artifice, like frame rate drops and pixelation. And I said basically like the Rick and Morty episode. So anyway, this catastrophic explosion destroyed a big portion of their pod towers and in Zion, a metallic being with no head shows up. And when the Council of Elders reveal themselves, we're reintroduced to Trinity, Morpheus, Locke, and Niobe. The headless robot manifests its head, uh, the baby head from Revolutions, but it's made out of like a little cloud of nanites, so it's got like the cheeks. And uh, it sort of uh, entreats Zion to aid. The machines have realized that they can only survive now with the cooperation of the freed people of Zion. So we're starting into Act 2. There's a big initiative, this like new complex that was built between the machines and Zion. And it's like you go there and you voluntarily jack into the Matrix for like eight hours. It's like you go to work, but your work is to like oh, wow. be comfortable in the Matrix. Yeah. You voluntarily produce power for them for like eight hours and then you get out. But the like, grand opening ribbon cutting, you know, uh, the whole fucking thing just explodes. And all the people that were there and all the machine bodies die. A crew is assembled, including the operator we met from the beginning of the movie. And they're going to go figure out what in the fuck. So now we have kind of a detective story in and out of the Matrix as they're trying to track down what the fuck is going on. Uh, Morpheus is like, I don't want her to go with. And then she's like, you can't tell me what to do, dad. So it turns out that our heroine is Morpheus's daughter, of course, because I am just that hack. Um, <laughs> they do detective work and they eventually discover the climax of Act 3 that Morpheus has secretly taken it upon himself to destroy the machines once and for all, despite the will of the human beings deciding to aid. And he's what? like, no, fuck that. They, they, yeah, Morpheus has been oppressed by machines his entire life. He's not going to make a peace deal with them. He wants to kill them all. So... 
He's the bad guy, it turns out. Anywho, there's a big confrontation where Morpheus and his daughter have to fight. It, it's Now we're in the Matrix again, and he's there, and it's a DH with special effects Larry Fishburne. And, uh, you know, he find, she finally beats him, and he's like, it's too late. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to wipe out the machines, da 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 And then she reaches out in a moment of, like, clarity, and she sees Matrix code just like Neo did, but not in the exact same way. It's fate. It's, like, mostly the real world with just a little bit of code everywhere. And she reaches into uh, Morpheus and does something. We don't see what. He disappears and she passes out. And when she comes to, she's in the room full of monitors with the architect. And he explains to her that in order to prevent Neo from showing back up again in so many hundred years, he just disseminated that code individually to every human being still jacked into the Matrix. So every human being in the Matrix has some little bit of Neo in them now. But he he spent the last decade keeping that a secret so people didn't just develop superpowers and fight all over the place. But now that there is a peace agreement between humans and the Matrix and the machines, he can just, like, let that be public knowledge. He also explains that she didn't kill her dad. She just deleted the code in the mainframe of the Matrix that let him interact with it. So now the most he can ever do is jack into the programs that they control, like the program loading room with the We Need Guns, lots of them. But he's cut off from the Matrix forever. Do you, then you see the Matrix again, but like now instead of it looking like the end of 21st century America, it is literally the most science fiction-y, inconceivable thing you can imagine. Buildings floating and people moving between different like you know planes of uh, orientation and the imagination unbound because it is a completely virtual world that has doesn't have to represent anything. And there is like people and there are like these beings that can literally, again, be any kind of con- configuration of shape, and they all have like subtle matrix code running through them because these are now the machine, the programs unfettered by the need to look like people at all. And they finally have found coexistence. And then I threw in this bit just because I, I don't know. A little Indian girl turns to her mom, a middle-aged Indian woman, both of whom have the Matrix code sheen, and she says, Mom, do you think Neo would like this? The woman turns to the camera and says, Man, Neo would have dug it the most. She makes a rainbow. Music swells. Credits. Oof. What's the title? Uh, it is The Matrix Rebooted, which I'd almost bet you is what they're going to call the fourth one. That would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I there's real cool ideas there. Yeah, um, I know. It could be better. What I'm going to ask first before we start voting is, does anybody like any pitch they've heard more than the proposed Reloaded Revolutions Amalgamation by Topher Grace? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want that movie. I want, I want uh, Reloaded, but it's yeah. longer, and Revolutions, but it's longer. I, <laughs> oh, I can, I got, I can watch right. another hour of each of those movies. What does Topher Grace have to do with any of this? Oh, he edited the Star Wars prequels into one movie. He personally took his time and took episodes one, two, and three, and made them into a movie that is supposedly really badass and works really well. Yeah, but he, like, you know, you literally can't have that because that's George Lucas's property, and they're just not... Right, like, he, yeah, it's not available online or anywhere, but supposedly that happened. Okay. And he's done it again with something else. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I had no context for that. I just, like, I was, it kept coming Sorry, out. Sorry, yeah. I gotta say something. Okay, so then we're not voting, because I'm going to vote for that. It looks like I have no one else voting for that. I'm sorry to leave you in your moment of need. Well, no, to be honest, I'm trying to help Reloaded and Revolutions out, so I'm pretty (laughs) surprised. They need any help. Fine as is. (laughs) (laughs) I think your flaws only heighten them. What? I just like the movies. Um, Okay, so then the next one on the voting block is Model by Travis McMaster. 
Which I'll vote for. Um, I like that. I would like to give a half a vote to both model and the second Matrix, because I think they should be part of the new Animatrix, what do you call it, anthology. So I vote for both. You're talking talking about Lauren as well. Yes. Okay, so we have, just for model, we have three votes, because Lauren didn't vote for it. Thank you, Paul, for drawing that to everyone. (laughs) Say two and a half, two and a half. I'm I'm splitting my vote halfway between Lauren and Travis. The Matrix Retrogression, how many votes? I'll give that a vote. vote. Well done, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm only half a vote, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so how many votes for the Animatrix 2000? Oh, yeah, 1,000% that. That's, uh... yeah. No, but, oh, oh, everyone, yeah. everyone. Okay, okay cool. Unanimous. I'm going to take okay, my so half that's vote probably... for Travis's thing and put it onto this vote. How about that? Um, Wheel is rolling, all right? Best closed. That's off. All right, so works. then Mario's prequel, what, what was that called? Did that have a name? That was called the Penultimatrix. <laughs> I'm gonna say throw that into the Animatrix 2000, right. and it can, it can half vote from me, I guess. If we're doing that, I now regret introducing half votes. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, okay, so then no, I'll, I'll vote ahead. for it. I'll vote for it. I will also vote for it. two and a half. Okay, so the next is uh, hack the Matrix. Which I, I you know, I, I, I wouldn't come up if I wouldn't watch it. Can I ask you a question? If I vote for it, does it imply that I am voting for it over the sequels we got? No, right. no, okay, no, I will no. vote for it. Thank you, Mario. You're welcome, Paul. Still not voting. Other guy. I probably yeah, would I like see to ask back on the show, so. I was really kind ah, of bummed okay. that Mario was laying out the rules for voting so clearly before I was going to not <laughs> vote, but I'm sorry, yes, I'm still not voting. In addition to yeah, both, I choose to withhold voting for... Thank you, Mario. I'm just gonna, um, I guess, uh, without asking, assume that I couldn't see Lauren's hand raised. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, alright. Uh, Pearls Before Swine. Moving on to uh, The Matrix Rebooted, which I will vote I for. I will also vote for happily. that. No, no, no. Okay, great. Three votes. Okay, so the Animatrix 2000 is our winner. How did I beat you? You're too fast. That's an Uh I credit everyone except myself <laughs> as writing that. <laughs> because I actually followed the rules of the podcast. Uh, so I'm so mortified, honestly. I, 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 I'm so sorry, Paul. No, that's what we're about, and none of us are going to be the Wachowskis here, so right. it is an endless uh, source to mine ideas from. That's what's so cool about it. A lot of people didn't dig what they got from the trilogy, but I don't begrudge it having a trilogy. It absolutely deserved that, and then some, and I'm super excited to see the next one. So, Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, well, so then before we wrap it up, any plugs from anyone? Golly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you think that's a good idea. You can follow me at AquaKong. That's, that's my hacker name. <laughs> that's so yeah. embarrassing for you. I'll, uh, I'll go next because mine's not exciting. I have an Etsy shop. Pop that Funko. I do custom Funkos. Thank you. Is that a reference to popping pop that? World of words to explore with both fun and funk. You don't have to go stampeding towards pop if it's that precariously close to pussy for you. I feel like I know I wouldn't like Travis's idea as much, whatever his suggestion was. <laughs> no, 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 no suggestions. As ever, just critiquing the way you all think. 
We appreciate it, <laughs> I guess. Um, what? Oh, I do want to plug one thing. Um, in the email that you sent us all for the, the Ringer conversation mm-hmm. we're recording on, you quoted the Clerks cartoon episode referencing the Matrix. God bless you for doing that. Favorite joke. that Clerks cartoon yeah. show was very, very, very funny in 2004. It's still funny now, just in a 2004 way. Um, you know, I'm not even going to say the quote if anyone's listening. Uh, just go Google it and find it for yourself. Maybe it will send you on a rabbit hole of discovering how charming that show was. Good on you, Mark. I was a big Smith head back in the day. I mean, sure. I still am a Smith head, but I, I was a big Smith head. Hey man, we all walked the same basic film school boy path. I didn't. (laughs) Thank you for uh, coming, Mario. We would love to have you back on again, maybe talking about one movie instead of a million. Thank you so much. I'm going to (laughs) pass. On the next follow-up showdown, we have got a full house of gorgeous guests here to talk about today's movie, Sex and the City 2. I don't want to spoil it, but I think we decided we all have a little bit of Miranda. Kim helped me to realize that I am a Steve uh, Charlotte. That's a great combo. It's pretty hot. 